Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. You've tried the rest, now try the best. Has anybody ever seen that anywhere? I've seen it on pizza boxes. Has anybody seen it anywhere else? <laughs> my, my thought always was, I've seen it on various pizza boxes in different restaurants. Well, they can't all be the best. So, a little history on that saying. It's, about, it's actually about 100 years old. It's been used in some type of advertising for about 40 or 50 years. What it says is that whatever you're, if it's a pizza, whatever you're eating, it's the best. It's better than any others. It's telling you stop looking around uh, for anything else. This is it. You found it. Uh, I know when, uh, when we moved to Monroe, uh, that's one of the first questions we started asking people is who makes the best pizza in town? Um, the thing with that is I got a lot of different answers. And uh, it doesn't really matter what it says on their box. Um, it's kind of a matter of opinion on those kinds of things. Um, in marketing, it's used to get people to kind of think that what they're experiencing, whatever it is, is the top. There's no need to look any further than that. But the thing is, does it, does it really work in advertising? I found an article um, that, that speaks to that. It says, how many times have you seen the slogan on a takeout pizza box, you've tried the rest, now try the best? Does it somehow validate your decision to choose that particular restaurant? If you see it on a pizza box at someone else's home, does it somehow persuade you to switch your own pizza preference? How about the plethora of auto insurance companies that claim that, that they will save you hundreds of dollars if you switch from your current carrier, or the bank claiming that they have the best loan rate. Do any of these statements have any meaning for you? See, this is the thing with advertising. It has to mean something. And uh, this, the writer of this article goes on to say, of course they don't. They can't, they can't all be the best or have the lowest prices or the best rates. When competitors all make identical claims all of those claims become meaningless. Now we're going to take it into sort of the spiritual realm. When it comes to the things of God, opinions don't matter. Only the truth matters. When God says something is better, when God says something is the best, when God says you found it, no need to look any further, we can believe it. The author of the book of Hebrews challenged the people he was writing to, to stop looking elsewhere for something better when they had Jesus who was the best. It was written to encourage especially the Jewish believers in that day. But it was also written to exhort people like us in two ways. First, if you're still involved in a sort of a religious system 
that held anything or anyone above Jesus that they needed to leave that religious system. I think today more people are hindered from a true relationship with God um, by religious rituals than maybe even uh, just complete unbelief because they're stuck in that. It's a, it becomes a, a pattern. It becomes a routine. And they really can't see the truth of the Word of God because they're stuck in tradition. Most people will have to leave some religious tradition in order to come to the simplicity of the gospel, in order to get saved. What the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, come out of that relationship, come out of that religious system that's holding you down in traditions and come into a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And, if he, and he's also saying, if you've left that system, don't be tempted to go back in order to add something to the finished work of Jesus because we can't add anything to that. On a personal note, I had to leave a religious system that I was in for most of my life in order to even hear the truth of the gospel. Now, I don't know if that's some of your experiences too. And when that happens, you start to think, well, boy, I, maybe I need to break with this tradition. Maybe I need to come out of that. No matter what it meant in the past, you're hearing something now that's truthful. You're hearing something now that's not just empty words. And you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. Maybe it was very comfortable for you. I know it was, it was comfortable for me, but it wasn't that meaningful for me, what I, was, what I was involved in. So we all come from some type of tradition, whether it's family, religious tradition, or maybe you came from a family that had no religious tradition at all, no belief system at all. But there's something there that was established in your past and whether it was good or bad, it has an influence over us. So we needed to break free of that. Now thankfully, prayerfully, most of you or all of you here have done that. But I think we all have people in our lives that haven't yet done that, that are still stuck in those traditions. And maybe we want to know, well, what can we do? How can we help them? How can we minister to them? So the book of Hebrews has a lot for us. It's a, real, it's a doctrinal book. It, it's really about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, even before the book of Revelation was written, this book of Hebrews was a, is a revelation of Jesus. It reveals who he truly is. And it reveals it to a people who were dependent on tradition for a relationship with God. The traditions of the Old Testament Jewish system had a rich heritage. They also had a purpose. They were a shadow of what pointed towards that substance, which is Jesus Christ. But then they had man-made additions to those things. And all of those distracted the people from the substance. They couldn't see through all of those man-made traditions to what God was really trying to show them. The traditions became the substance. Imagine that. 
what was supposed to point them toward Jesus became in and of themselves what people put their faith and trust in. And I know many of us probably have that same experience, that we came from something, a tradition that we put our faith and trust in. I know for me, I was always taught that our faith and trust was in the church. Not the church as in the people, even, but the church as in the hierarchy of the system. I was never told that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when the traditions become the substance, instead of pointing towards the substance, something is wrong. So, so that, that's what a lot of what the book of Hebrews does. It shows us, it breaks down those things that were, that were supposed to be just shadows. What the author is saying also is, if you're in a relationship with God through his son Jesus, don't return to those to those uh, dead religious traditions of the past. Move forward into the better things that God has through the superiority of Jesus Christ. Next to the Gospels and the book of Revelation, Hebrews gives us the most complete picture of the person of Jesus Christ and the deity of Jesus Christ. The reality of who he is. So as we go through a few of the verses in the book of Hebrews, think about that pizza box. And like that pizza, if you've truly found the best in Jesus, why would you go anywhere else and look for anything else? And so we're going to jump in in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. See, there were many instances throughout history where God spoke to his people. The prophets of the Old Testament were given the words of God to to bring to the people. And they were to give the people God's, his, his character, who he was, his law, and his plan for humanity. And he did this in various ways. He did it through the prophets. He did it through his promises. He did it through the law, which pointed to Jesus. He did it through even the religious rituals. God used all of these things. He did it through dreams. He did it through visions. And he did it through the inspiration of his word. But in the the Old Testament times, the word wasn't, wasn't used, wasn't used that much. So God spoke in different ways. He he spoke in times past in relationship to the law. The prophets made reference to the law of God and they spoke either blessings or judgment to the people depending on your obedience or disobedience to that law. You can go through a lot of the prophetical books in the scriptures and you can see there were blessings and and, and there were judgment because of the people's obedience or disobedience. Some he spoke to personally. He spoke to some of the fathers of the faith. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to Joshua, Samuel, and others. He spoke to the prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Daniel. You know, the, the, the prophetical books speak in a way that says, and the, the word of the Lord came to me saying, 
Going on to verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So you see, in times past, he spoke in one way to the people, and now he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the final revelation of God to the world. It is through Jesus that God can be discovered. And no one can reveal anything new now about God. Imagine that. It's all been said. It's all been perfectly identified in Jesus Christ. But there have been others who've come along over the years and tried to give a new revelation. In 1823, Joseph Smith claimed to receive a message from an angel who gave him new revelation, special revelation regarding God. In 1872, Charles Taze Russell, who was the uh, founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, believed that he had special revelation, new revelation from God. And even in some of those false religions, when they're, when they're found out that some of their beliefs do not line up with Scripture, they claim to have a new revelation again. God spoke to the Old Testament prophets in various times and in various ways, and none of them received the complete revelation. But Jesus Christ is God's last word to the world. And it's important that we realize that Jesus is better than any Old Testament prophet or even any new prophet that may come on the scene. He's better for several reasons. He's better because he's the son of God. And no other prophet can make that claim. He's better because in verse 2 it says, He has appointed him heir of all things. That means that our relationship with Christ allows us to become partakers of that. Boy, how awesome that is. It's better than some wealthy friend of yours who leaves you part of the in his inheritance. That part, we, are, we are joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. And through Jesus, he made the worlds. So not only was he, is he the son of God, but he's the creator of all things. And he created this world for his good pleasure. And he also created, created it for our pleasure. But our pleasure should also glorify God. So here we have meaning. We have, we have true purpose for our life because of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it goes on and says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He's the express image of his person. Jesus is better because he is the exact representation of the Father to the world. The express image, that, that phrase in Greek is like a steel engraving, something that's been imprinted. It's the exact impression of anything. The marked likeness or the precise reproduction in every respect. That's the most important thing. In every respect, Jesus Christ is the same. And that Greek word is the word that we get character 
from. It's that Greek word character, and that's exactly what it is. It's God's character. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God's character. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. So he's the creator of all things, and he's the preserver of all things. This is an active thing on the part of Jesus, that he holds the worlds together. And then in verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins. You see, it's not something, it's something that Jesus Christ had to do in order for us to even have a chance of salvation. And he, he had to do it alone. Because he was the only one who was able, he was the only one who was worthy, and he was the only one who was perfect. So he was a better sacrifice better than any other because of his perfect life. And it was only because of his perfect life that he could pardon us by his death on the cross. And then he sat down, it goes on, at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down to show us, to show the world, that the work that he was sent to do was complete. That he carried out the mission that he was sent to carry out. He sat down, he rests now in the completed work of salvation. And even the priests back then had to continually work daily sacrifices, monthly rituals, yearly feasts, holy days, all of these things, they continually work, work, work. But again, only as a picture, only as um, something that pointed toward Jesus Christ. The problem with a work-based religion is you never really know when enough work is done. There's no, there's no scale, there's no chart. You can't really tell if you've done enough. But we know through the word that Jesus Christ w- completed that work. He said on the cross, it is finished. The debt is paid. Nothing needs to be added to it. The superiority of Jesus expressed in the revelation in the scriptures, better than the Old Testament economy, better than the prophets or angels, better than the priesthood, better through a better relationship. The author of Hebrews uses the word better 13 times. I think he's trying to tell us something here about Jesus. In, in uh, verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, Jesus is better than the angels. Having become so much better than the angels, he has by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Angels are very prominent in the scriptures. Angels are messengers from God. Certainly, they are powerful beings who were given um, very important roles. But Jesus is the son. Angels are servants. Jesus is the king. Angels are only subjects. Jesus is the creator. Angels are created beings. You see the difference. And angels were given an important place in the minds of a lot of people. And they still are today. There's this strange type of angel. I don't know if it's angel worship or angel just, you know, they put angels in a position a lot of times above God even. And it's very clear here. In Hebrews 1.4, 
having become so much better than the angels by, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus Christ is better than an angel. Now, there are even some religious systems like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons who equate Jesus with an angel. Mormons say that he was a, uh, a brother of uh, Lucifer. They put him on the same level as an angel. The Jehovah Witnesses say that he's, a, he's the angel uh, Michael, the archangel. They're the same. But it says right there, I've never, I've never really heard them explain away verse 4 of Hebrews 1. And then it goes on in verses 5 through 8 to kind of give us a better picture of what that looks like. He says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So he's asking this question here. Who, to what angel did I ever say that? God is saying. I've never said that to any angel. And he says in verse 6, But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Worship who? Worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. And to the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So these are servants of God. But to the Son, see, he's making a contrast here. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. That's not an angel. That's Jesus Christ. It's clear from these verses that in the order of heavenly things, angels are lower than Jesus. Jesus is equal to God. And angels are to worship Jesus. And no angel ever should be the recipient of worship. There was even a, a, a couple of instances, I believe, in the Scriptures where angels received worship from somebody and they said, no, I'm the same as you. Don't worship me. They had to deny that worship. Jesus Christ never denied worship. So we're going to go on. We're going to hit on a couple more of the betters here in Hebrews chapter 3. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to stay in the book of Hebrews, but we're going to go through and try to hit on as many of the betters as we can tonight. In verse 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we can hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Okay, so speaking to Jewish people at that time and, and you know, understanding the fact that Moses was 
probably the most respected and revered man at that time to the Jewish people, and probably many to this day still. Moses has that same standing. So the author needed to be very thoughtful and considerate as he spoke these words to put forth the truth that Jesus is better than Moses. And look what God did to avoid um, Moses even being brought to a higher level than he was at that time. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 5 and 6, it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. Who buried him? God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Why would God do that? Well, if he didn't, God realized that there would probably be a monument or a shrine at his burial plot. If anyone knew where Moses was buried, people would probably have pilgrimages there, worship him, bow down before him, give him praise and honor, take God's glory, basically, away from him. And so God kind of made sure that that didn't happen. So better than Moses. Again, speaking to the Jewish people, trying to break down those traditions, but doing it in a way that they could understand. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 with me, please. Here we, we see the author speaking of Jesus offering a better life, a better life which includes salvation and also the abundant life that comes along with it, those other things that come with trust and faith in Jesus. In, in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 6, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Jesus offers so much more, so much of a better life. And all of those things that come along with our salvation, Christ has done it all. It's a completed work that we can rest in. Imagine having that rest because Jesus did all the work. He also offers a fruitful and a rich life because he has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. So it's a different mindset here. Instead of as the people that were stuck in that traditional religious system or, or even today, instead of working for our salvation, we work out our salvation as Christians and God blesses us with an abundant life because we put our confidence in the finished work of Jesus. We don't have to strive for that. It's something that He's already done. So it's a better life. It's better things that accompany our salvation. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7, the next chapter, in verse 19 speaks here about Jesus offering a better hope. Chapter 7, verse 19. A better hope because the hope that religion puts us into, it's 
it's a hope in, into keeping the law, which we could never do. You know, think about it. Think about, you know, trying to keep the law. You know, the Bible says that if you, if you uh, fail in one point of the law, you've, you've disobeyed the entire law. You know, how many times we can say we failed in, in many points along the way. So it's a better hope. We can't have hope in that. There is no hope in that. That's hopeless to a relationship with Jesus. But in verse 19 of chapter 7, it says, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. So here's a better hope that we have in Jesus Christ through which we draw near to God. The only way that we can have that true relationship with God, that personal relationship with God, is through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a better hope. The law does one thing. Well, the law gives us false hope, really. But it also does another thing. It shows us or reveals our inability to do it. If we understand the law, we understand that we're not capable to follow it perfectly. And there was only one man who ever did, and that was Jesus Christ. The law is a tutor, the Bible says, to point us to Jesus who was perfect. And then we see our need for a Savior. You know, if we could save ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we could save ourselves, it says, I think in the book of Galatians, then Jesus died in vain. But that's not how it is. So we have that hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Instead of going back into tradition and to a religious system to look for that hope, we look to Jesus who completed that work. Continuing in, ver in uh, chapter 7, a couple verses down, verse 22, it says it's, we're speaking here of a better covenant, a better covenant. Again, speaking to Jewish believers, that old covenant was the tradition that they put their faith and trust in. But it says in verse 22 here, by so much more Jesus has become surety of a better covenant, of a new covenant. You know, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the better covenant is through faith and trust in Him. The old covenant depended on the people's ability to carry out the law. But since we're sinful and incapable of doing it, we, we remain lost in our sins because of that. Jesus became the guarantee. That's what it means when it says surety. He became the guarantee that we could have eternal life. Amen. His death, His resurrection, and ascension is our promise. It's that surety that we can have an everlasting relationship with God. The old covenant was a conditional covenant. It meant that both parties had to fulfill their responsibility. The new covenant is unconditional. It's Jesus laying down His life for any that would believe in Him. We don't have to do anything except believe that He completed the work. Continuing in, ver in uh, chapter 7, and again, thinking back to the traditions at that time, 
the priestly duties, and all of the rituals that went on in the temple, Jesus is a better high priest, the book of Hebrews says. In verse 23 to 26, it says, Also there were many priests, because they were prevented from... By, because they were prevented by death from continuing. Think about that one line. That's a very interesting line, that verse. It says, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. If the priest never died, if the high priest never died, there would only be one high priest. There, would not, there wouldn't be a need for more. But since they were humans and they died, they had to continually get a new high priest, a new priest, a new priestly uh, line to, to uh, complete the, the temple duties. They had to continually replace them. But he, in verse 24, because he continues forever, now speaking of Jesus, again, making that contrast, priests had to be replaced because they died. Jesus continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, it was the priest's duty, the priest's job to intercede to God for the people and to intercede to the people from God, what the word that he would, he would hear from the Lord. But again, it wasn't a perfect intercession. See, Jesus Christ lives to intercede continually for us. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Boy, if there was a real human priest that fit all of those qualifications, that would be wonderful, but there isn't. There never was. Jesus is that last high priest because his sacrifice was good forever. No other sacrifice needs to be made. So he's the better high priest. Turning to Hebrews chapter 9. Just move on a couple of chapters. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. The author here writes about that better sacrifice. It says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, in verse 12, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, the priests had to go into the um, most holy place, and they went in once a year to, uh, to atone for the sins of the people, and because he was a human, a sinful human being, atoning for his own sins also, and it was a sacrificial atonement. It was that blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there's no remission of sins. So that was part of the sacrificial system. But it wasn't now that Jesus became that last high priest. It wasn't necessary any longer. He entered the mo most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So... Better sacrifices. Jesus, Jesus was that better sacrifice. The, you know, think about the recipients of the letter um, here in the New Testament as the author wrote to Jewish people who were still struggling with that tradition. 
you know, s- looking to the animal sacrifices to atone for, them, for their sin and looking for that to bring them into a right relationship with God. But it was only temporary because it had to be continually done over and over. Jesus provided the better sacrifice because it was permanent. It was permanent. That atoning of sin is, is really more like a covering over sin. It's not a completely taking away of sin like Jesus' sacrifice did. The atoning of the animal sacrifices was just temporary. It just covered it. But Jesus is the better sacrifice, the final sacrifice. And then finishing up in the last couple of verses that we're going to look at, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34 and we're speaking here about a life, not just uh, an eternal life, an abundant life, a meaningful life, a productive life on this, on this earth, but then an even better life that awaits us in heaven. In verse 34, it says, For you had compassion on me in my change. This is the author writing. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So what the author here is saying here is, is hold, your, hold your things in this earth with an open hand because there's so much better waiting for us in heaven. Don't get too attached is what he's saying to earthly things. Well, first of all, they can be gone in, in, in an instant. And secondly, they're, they're, they don't last and they're not really what's important. And so what he's saying here is, you know, he, he's thanking them that they were generous to him in his need because they saw something better. They saw a better and enduring possession in the heavenly things than they did in the things in the earth. Um, Hebrews 11, go to the next chapter and we're going to hit on a couple of verses as we finish up. The last two verses here. Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40. This is where we'll finish up tonight speaking of a better testimony. A better testimony. And the testimony is, is, um, is something that we all hear about we all some some of us have even given our testimonies some of us have a an awesome testimony that shows you know everything that God's done in our lives bringing us to the point of just uh, that we we recognize our need for him maybe there's trials maybe there's difficulties that's part of the testimony and speaking in Hebrews 11 we know that this is the uh, the hall of faith chapter in the Bible, speaking of all those great people that went throughout history that showed faith in God. You know, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith. It's wonderful that the uh, Old Testament saints saw, uh, looked forward to Jesus' sacrifice. By faith they believed. In, in that God would provide. By faith, we look back at, at the sacrifice that Jesus made. 
So it says here in verses 39 and 40, and all these, in other words, all of these Old Testament saints, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What he's saying here is they didn't, they saw dimly, they didn't understand the complete revelation of what God was going to do. But they by faith believed. I think that's even more impressive in my eyes. But we have something better. We saw, we see. You know, the New Testament believers that the, the author is writing to in the book of Hebrews, this was after Jesus had come, had lived, had died, and uh, was risen from the dead. So imagine that they have all of that now behind them, like we do. See, the, the people in the, uh, in the Old Testament, they didn't receive that promise because Jesus had not yet come, but yet they believed. They still had the faith. We, on the other hand, look back at what Jesus did on the, on the cross, and we're blessed because of it. We're blessed because we have this perspective. You know, our testimony, you know, they had an awesome testimony of faith without seeing, without knowing. We have a testimony because we know and we honor Jesus. We give him all the credit. We give him all the honor, all the glory. We see the completed work of Christ. And so our testimony is that we can, we can talk to people about this. We can tell them. We can show them the scriptures. We can show them where Jesus is better than anything that they can put their faith in. And that our testimony is because we, we believe it and we know it. Christ is the Son of God. The prophets were merely men who were called to be servants. Jesus made the worlds and He upholds the worlds by His power. And He sustains the world now. And He's also the heir of all things. And He's the perfect mediator between God and man. And that's probably now as we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what we probably appreciate the most is that we can go to Jesus as a mediator. We know that He's there. He's, he's, uh, he's always interceding for us. What an awesome thing that is. So it's about faith, yes. But it's also about what our, the object of our faith is. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.